0: reading from God's word this morning is from Colossians chapter 2, reading verses 16 to 23. Colossians chapter 2, 16 to 23. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the er elemental spirits of the world This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Rhonda. Good morning, church. Well, I don't know if you've ever had a chance to either visit another country or live overseas. Um, if you have, um. Likely, so are you gonna be able to concentrate on the sermon? No, <laughs> do you guys want me to put the headset on? Is that better? Or do you want me to stand up here? That's good, okay, all right. Uh, the good news is when I don't have a headset, I don't pace and then I'm like, like focused. So um, if you ever had a chance to live overseas or if you've visited another country, you probably discovered that every culture has a set of social taboos. What you think is normal is frowned upon by another society. Um, if you ever have a chance to visit Japan, uh, try not to blow your nose in public, because that's considered gross and rude. Where in Australia, it sounds—you know—go to a cafe and it sounds like you know it's like it sounds like a trumpet. Symphony or something, everyone's blowing their nose. Or if you're in Japan as well, and you are at a restaurant, try not to pour your soy sauce on your white rice, even if you like it plain because it's considered insulting to the chef, right? Or insulting to the owner of the restaurant. How dare you do that? We all have, there's taboos in every culture though. That's just one country. there's certain social expectations of how you greet someone, or how you speak to an adult, or how you dress. Uh, you, you can travel around to different countries and, and everyone has a sort of a different expectation, right? A different social taboos of you don't do this, you do this. Well, the same goes in church culture and specifically different church cultures. Um, for example, There are some churches that are super strict in their culture, in their expressions, in their commitment to God, in their zeal. No dancing, no movies, no smoking, no drinking. Bad stuff. So how do we define our commitment, our zeal to God? We don't do those things. And then there's churches that are on the other spectrum of that that are a little bit more loose, hey, No rules here, baby. Live how you want. All good. Now, if you decide to show up at the first church, you risk being labeled as worldly. And if you decide to show up at the second church, well, you might be a legalist. But no matter where you decide to land, if it's church number A that's strict or church number B that's loose, eventually you're gonna have to work out what your Christian freedom looks like. In other words, what are things that are the most important? What are things that are central, right? In the book of Colossians, we have that going on. What is happening is there is intimidation happening. This spiritual, intimidation. And you might have felt that if you visited Church A or Church B, where maybe you don't share the same convictions as Church A or Church B, but you're likely just to sort of go along with the flow because, well, you don't want to be the oddball, right? And so you're going to kind of try to just flow along. Well, that's what's happening with these false teachers. They're, They're showing up. And they're saying, look, you have something missing in your life. You've got Jesus. That's great. There's something missing. We want to help you with that. You've got so much potential. You're almost there. You're just not quite there yet. And we want to help you get there. So in order to do that, do this and this, and this, and then you're there. First thing you gotta do is have these extra rules. Don't do this, don't do that. And, gee, anyone that is spiritual, well, they're gonna have these just phenomenal experiences. And so, you know, have you had the experience yet? Oh, yeah, no, yeah. Oh, and, and lastly, They're not people that are going to be, you know, having a good time. These are going to be people, this this is not Christianity for the weak. This is Christianity for the committed. So roll up your sleeves and let's get to work. Such is the case in this text before us. And yet, what does Paul do? Paul addresses this and he says, if you are in Christ, you have fullness. Christ is all sufficient. He is all you need. You don't need extra rules, you you don't need extra experiences and and you don't need extra deeds. All you have is, and all you need is Christ. Christ is all sufficient. And so for today, with this text before us this morning, we're gonna look at what it means to live in Christ. What, what Christian liberty does? What, what does it do? Well, what it does is it actually frees you from extra rules. It, it frees you from ex- feeling like you need to have extra experiences and it, and it liberates you from feeling like you need to have extra deeds. Now, depending on how you're wired right now, some of you are thinking, <gasps> our pastor's gone liberal, okay? Which I i kid you not, I would say you probably have been one of the most conservative, theologically conservative pastors in the on the coast. I'm just gonna throw that out there. So you don't f- let, f- put your fears aside, okay? So depending on how you're wired, some of you are gonna go, oh my gosh, he's gone liberal. And others you can say, oh hallelujah, I've been waiting for him to get to this point because he seemed like the other guy so the point that i want us to walk away with is this understanding this idea of the freedom though that we have in christ okay so and what does that mean freedom because that that sounds freedom in christ means no law right live how you want well does that flow with the rest of the next chapter because paul doesn't say you have freedom in Christ, baby, live how you want, woo! No, he says, take off, put on. Well, oh, that kind of sounds like a bunch of stuff and rules, right? So then how, how do we balance these things? Well, it's Christian liberty. So first, Christian liberty provides us, or or I guess, excuses us, or liberates us from, number one, and we're gonna see this in verses 16 and 17, extra rules meaning legalism that's our first point number two Christian freedom it it frees us it liberates us from the expectation of experiences mysticism feeling like we've got to have those experiences and that's in verse 18 and 19 finally Our third and last point will be Christian liberty frees, promotes, however you want to say this, from extra deeds, and that is asceticism, living an ascetic lifestyle. And that's verse 20 through 23. So that's Christian liberty, super important. I hope that you will give me grace as I will touch on things this morning that might be, I don't know, um, an area that you have stitched into the fabric of what it means to be a Christian. And my goal here is not to blast anybody. My goal up here is just to help us to think rightly about Christian liberties. Does that make sense? So we're gonna gonna touch on some issues that you might feel like, oh, I kind of have that conviction. Oh, look, that's okay. Um, but, but what I want to do is, is keep pointing us back to Christ and what this idea of Christian liberty is, okay? So with that said, why don't we pray together as a church, and then we'll, we'll dive into it. Father in heaven, we thank you for this morning that you created. Thank you that we can come together as your people and gather around your word. Lord, would you move in the hearts of your people. us in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so it's interesting, you know, we live in a tolerant day and age uh, where it's all about tolerance, right? What's true for you? Well, that's true for you. What's true for me is true for me. The one thing that is intolerable is saying that someone else's view is wrong. Well, that's what... 2.16 seems to say at first glance, what does it say? Let no one judge you, right? Let no one judge you. Wow, I reckon if we took that one little phrase, slapped that logo on a t-shirt, we'd sell stacks of them today in 2020. You know? I bet you if you walked around with that t-shirt around the coast here, you'd get all kinds of approval, wouldn't you? Yeah, amen, that's right. That's, that's my life verse. I like that word that's from the Bible. Woo, that's great. Let no one judge you. Yeah. That's not really what Paul's getting at though. He's not, he's not prohibiting all judgment, is he? What's, what's he saying? Let no one judge you. And then there's a reason, right? There's a context and a flow of thought here. He's saying, don't allow somebody to accuse you of failing to do something or not based on man-made rules. They shouldn't be requiring something of you which the Bible doesn't directly command. And in this first instance, it has to do with diets and days. Diets and days. If you look at verse 16 with me, you'll see this particular focus on diets and days. You see that? He says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Evidently, the false teachers were telling the Christians in Colossae that it wasn't enough for them to have Christ. They also needed to maintain a Jewish diet and celebrate Jewish festivals to be truly committed to God. But Paul says, look, keeping these external rules won't help you become closer to God or know him better. Any more than studying someone's shadow, as it were, helps you to know that person fully. For example, in the Old Testament, God gave the nation of Israel uh, food laws, ways that would separate them, distinguish them from the surrounding nations. You, you can't eat this. You can't eat that. And if you go to Israel, it still happens today, by the way, hence the kosher diet. In fact, how many of you like to have a cup of tea after dinner? Show hands. Okay, Who likes to have a dash of milk with it? All right, just a few of you. Well, you can forget that if you go to Israel. Why? Because they don't serve meat with the evening meal. Sorry, they don't serve milk with the evening meal because they're always serving meat with the evening meal. And you can't mix milk with meat. So to safeguard themselves, they just don't bring milk out. So if you go to a buffet, right? And you're in Israel and you get a cup of tea, you're not gonna, they'll have milk in the morning but you're not going to get milk in the evening. It's just not going to be there. So, you know, gutted, right? You're not going to get your your dash of milk. They don't mix milk with meat. Now, hold on. We do that as Christians, right? We can mix milk with wheat. Some of us eat cheeseburgers in here. So then, Paul's saying, you don't have to worry about it well, that's interesting because I thought Paul was like a really committed Jew. And as Christians, we can have a dash of milk with our dinner, right? Some of you might wash down milk after you had a steak or you know, whatever. So why, why is that? Are we just sort of like Jews gone rogue? Right, like, why, why, why do, you, why is it that we don't have these food laws? I mean, the Bible says. Are, are we pe- people of the book or not? I want to be a pe- person of the book. So, a show of hands, or I guess no. Let me get some feedback from you. Why, why do we think? Why are we okay with um, not obeying these food laws? What do you think? So raise your hand. Go ahead. Second. vision. Yeah, yeah. Very good. So Peter's vision. So I asked him, the question is, why, why do we not have these food laws? Well, in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 10, you, you've got this moment where Peter is praying. He goes up on top of a roof and it's about lunchtime. It's about noon. And as he's sitting there praying, right, he gets this vision from God. And the vision is this tray of animals for him to eat. Like, that's amazing. You know, it's lunchtime. I wish that could happen to me. Here comes a bunch of food for you, right? Problem is, problem is, it's all the animals he's not supposed to eat. It's all the unclean animals. And he says, I ain't gonna touch this. To which the voice replies, don't call common which God has called good, basically. And then it's all connected to this idea it's all connected this idea of the gentiles being enfolded into the people of god anything else anyone else why why do we not that's so that would be a good reason you could point to that and then that's sort of validated it in acts 15 so that's acts 10 and then he has a council with all the elders there in jerusalem and then they say yep grilled here we come or you know whatever they didn't say that but yeah bronwyn Yeah, that's right. So all the rules are foreshadowing, which is what he's saying there, right? The shadow of the things to come. The the substance is Christ. Yeah. Literally, it says, actually, the body is Christ, which is interesting. The reality of it is Christ. So, yeah. And which is interesting because then he picks up again under the heading of asceticism, actually the next point, of the body again. You know, just disjointed from the head. So a bit of a play on words, which you can't c- catch it in English, but, but yeah. Anyone else? Why don't we... Or do you guys just not care and you just eat burgers and this is sort of like, oh, I don't know. So um, what Knowles just said is the Jews were all about washing hands, washing the feet. And Jesus says, it's the heart that needs to be washed. So um, kind of an external internal sort of thing, right? Going on. Yeah. Yep. Well, I think, yeah, you guys have been helpful actually answering something. And Jesus actually in Mark 7 de- declared all foods clean, right? It's not about what goes in, which defiles a person Right, um, And in that, in Mark 7, he declared all foods clean. Um, interesting here, um, Paul says in Romans 14, he says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. You see that there? Now, all right, fair enough. Makes sense. All right, we get it, but how does this work for us like in 2020? I don't think anyone in this church is going to get bent out of shape if you eat a piece of bacon at a cafe, right? Or I don't think that you're going to be over here at the shops in Wyoming and Dan Kenny's going to see you at Kohl's and say, oh, you told me on Sunday that you want to be committed to God. Let me look through your trolley. I see a piece of pork there, you're out. And he calls me and I goes, kick him out of here, right? So so like, huh, I, that's, that we sort of look at that and we go, yeah, cool. I mean, how does, how does this apply to us today, right? How do we then not lose the flow of it? How do we not lose the principle here? Because I don't wanna dismiss this or I don't wanna, um, You know the danger is with Bible teaching sometimes is you can then take something and then just sort of leave it over there. Oh yeah, we're not Jewish and we don't have Jewish friends and we're not dealing with bacon and stuff, so that's cool. Freedom in Jesus. But then it just stays there and it's sort of irrelevant. Right? So then how do we catch the principle of what? What, What's the principle? what's, What's the big idea here? Well, It's judgment based on what you eat and drink, right? Ultimately that's what's going on initially, diets and days. Now having a particular choice of what you consume is fine insofar as you don't make that a law unto itself. That said, some of you have the conviction to refrain from alcohol. That's fine. I respect that. I commend that. Yet alcohol is not forbidden in scripture. Actually, the moderate use of it is recommended in some cases. But drunkenness is a sin, just to be clear. So if the Bible does not teach us that something is expressly forbidden, we have no right to forbid it. There's a fine line, isn't there, between having a personal conviction on an issue, which is great by the way, but we go too far when we make that issue a law unto itself, or the measure of somebody's spiritual maturity. We can't require something of people, which the Bible doesn't directly command them not to do. Be that a diet or be that celebrating a particular day or not celebrating a particular day. Which, if you look again at our passage, we have diets and days, right? There he goes again. Look at verse 16. He says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. In the Old Testament, the Jews had heaps of festivals, right? Passover, Pentecost, Feast of Lights, New Moon, etc. But notice what Paul says. As great as they were, and Bronwyn kind of was alluding to this earlier, they were a means to an end, right? They pointed to something greater. Oh, just to name a few, you had Passover. Right? And Passover, wonderful. Jews. I'm out of Egypt, etc., etc. You, you, know you know the story, and you know why they celebrate it. But what does Passover ultimately find its fulfillment in? Jesus Christ, our Passover Lamb, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, or the Day of Atonement, right? Day of Atonement. What does that point for? To Christ's work of atoning for sin on the cross. And so on. And then it's interesting. He names the Sabbath there which was a day of rest. But in the new era of salvation, in the new covenant that Christ accomplished, we have eternal rest. As the book of Hebrews teaches us, the Sabbath is fulfilled in Christ. Rest is in Him. All that to say, it would be wrong for someone to judge you based on food, drink, and Sabbath observance, because these are only shadows of the reality that we now find in Christ. So there might be a particular day that you celebrate that would seem not so spiritual to someone else. Be careful that you don't take things that are fine in your conviction, things that are periphery, does that make sense, out out here, and then bring them to the center and then take things that are periphery and put them in the center and so so on and so forth. In other words, don't take secondary issues and make them first, so that the secondary issues become first and the first issues become secondary. Does that make sense? So it's okay to have certain convictions on these things, insofar as the Bible gives you the freedom to do so. Make sense? Now, imagine for a moment that you came to my house and we stood there on my driveway and, you know, shadows are fun. Right. And I had my wife stand next to us and I said, check out April's shadow. Isn't it amazing? And you go, oh yeah, I guess so. Right. And just play along. And I'm like, no, it's really cool. And I talk about the length and the width and all the bumpy bits and you know all those things in the shadow. And we, we try to discern what's going on here. And, and I'm like, isn't this great? And, and obviously April has to be close by in order to hear me say all of these things. But I never, actually, I never actually allow you look up from the driveway and look at my wife, right? Well, beyond having an awkward moment with your pastor on the driveway You'd you'd, you'd probably wonder who I loved more, April's shadow or her. So it's the same when we make much of the external things and not Christ himself, right? So it's the same when we make much of diets and days and do not delight in Christ. Fullness in Christ means, guys, freedom from extra rules. And it also means freedom from extra Experiences. And that's our next point, extra experiences. Look at verse 18. He says, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about various, sorry, going on in detail about visions, puffed up with without reason, by sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. Just as there is a tendency to add extra rules to the Christian life in order to be spiritually mature, so there is a tendency to look for extra spiritual experiences. So in other words, in an attempt to be, so do you wanna be really committed? Yes. Some people then find that commitment necessary in order to get them there. They need to move from objectivity to subjectivity, to shift the focus from Christ to their own experience. Now, apparently there was, this was happening in Colossae with regards to people having access to this visionary realm. Uh, If you look there in the passage, it's it's a real tricky one to translate. Is he talking there about angels worshiping God, meaning we sort of get a sneak peek into heaven? Or is he talking about worshiping the angels themselves? I guess no matter how you slice it, it's bad, (laughs) right? Because. The criticism he lays against them, you see what he says? They are puffed up with empty notions. It's not a good thing. And and the second is even more devastating. Do you see what he says? He says that they are not holding fast to the head. In other words, they've lost contact with the one who's the source of life. It's like they have experienced basically spiritual paralysis in a way. What happens to someone when they experience physical paralysis? Someone help me. They can't move, right? Muscular motion is caused by stimulation of certain nerve cells in the brain and and in the spinal cord. And when the parts of the nervous system are not working properly, muscular movement is not normal, right? In a similar way, if we don't hold fast to the head, to Christ, we can experience spiritual paralysis and drift into things that are no longer Christian. And today there are, especially with uh, the access to uh, sermons and media and all of what's out there on television and on the internet, there's stacks of people running around claiming to receive visions and extra biblical revelations. They're always pursuing a deeper knowledge from a dream or a, a word or an impression And guess what? If you second guess that, you're quenching the spirit. You don't wanna quench the spirit, do you? No. So you better get along with it, otherwise you're not committed. You see that spiritual intimidation, you see. And what's that laying on you ultimately? Well, that's laying, yes, a guilt trip, but it's also saying, well, do you wanna be spiritually committed? Yeah, well, you better get with the program because the spiritually committed people are the ones that, I mean, yeah, look at look at Frank. Man, he's here, it seems like every week, Frank's getting a vision, he must be a really godly guy. He just looks up in the clouds and Jesus speaks to him through the clouds, or he is, you know, he gets this, that, or the other thing. Well, man, Frank's such a godly guy, don't you wanna be like Frank? Oh, yeah, I guess I do. And so we become very focused on these peripheral things that we actually, if we're not careful, you can be, you can lose connection. Notice, you see how severe this is? Lose connection with the head, who's Christ himself. In other words, your spiritual experience is no longer Christian spirituality. It's reflects more of like a new age paganism. When Paul is, is writing here, it's definitely a form of Judaism, but it's a mixed bag, isn't it? Of like Hellenistic teaching, this mystical idea. I wanna say that's very prevalent. Sure, we're not, we don't live in a society today where, you know, I'd make jokes about Dan with the, you know, trolley and, and all that stuff. And and we're not you know, like, oh, wow, here at Wyoming Church of Christ, you know, we're gonna talk about the God of Zeus this morning and how we can connect that with our own no 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 but what we do have are people that get visions from God and you start to wonder where they're even getting these things and how they're even getting these things and what that even does for the gospel here's the problem when you're not satisfied with Jesus and your contentment in and really the fulfilling of the Great Commission, and you're looking for all of these extra spiritual experiences, what what you're doing is, you're actually taking off the shelf the most important thing, Christ and his Great Commission, and replacing it with your own, your own journey of discovering this, that, or the other thing. Your own, God is always trying to whisper in your ear, this little this little thing that little thing this little ditty and and i honestly i'm oh, i it never i've no, i have not seen probably more a toxic thing in my 20 years of walking or 25 whatever years walking with jesus more toxic than someone who has become so self absorbed with their own spirituality that they it's like do, do you even realize what about your family members that don't know jesus what about the surrounding neighborhood, they don't have time to think about that, because they're running off to having a mountain high experience, as it were. Trying to and it, who's it? Who's it become? Well, it's all about them, isn't it? It's all about God speaking to them. What God has spoken, He's spoken in His Word, and the most important thing we can ever have, my friends, is Jesus Christ and Him crucified, and that's the message that we take. That's the Great Commission. <laughs> like. You wanna know, hey, here's God's word for you, ready? Preach Christ and Him crucified. Go tell that to people, make that your focus. You don't have to go chasing different ideas, dreams and visions out there. You have, the, you have your marching orders friend and so do I, it's the great commission. That is the most central thing in all of Christianity. You don't need to chase extra spiritual experiences to be a committed Christian. You don't need mysticism. In netball, I've been told, I actually called Heather Beck this week to ask her about it, so I didn't sound like an idiot. I mean, I still sound like an idiot, but you know. In netball, you have two umpires. And um, what do the umpires do? the umpires, uh, they call the shots based on their own interpretations of the rules, right? You, you, hey, brrr, you weren't, you weren't a half a meter from that person or, or whatever. They have the authority to disqualify you, right? And Paul says, don't allow someone who's drifted into mysticism to disqualify you. Don't let them be the a spiritual umpire to you calling the shots as it were, because you have freedom in Christ and freedom in Christ means a a, a releasing as it were from extra rules and extra experiences. And lastly, extra deeds, extra deeds. And that is asceticism that's found in verse 20. He says, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why? See that there? It's very, he's he's already had, this is a theme he's hit before, he's doing it again. Why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations, right? And here it comes, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to the things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity of the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh." Again, remember, there's probably a mixed bag here of Judaism and Hellenism that's going on here. We don't quite know what it is but it's definitely a a synchronistic sort of religion that the false teachers are putting on them, right? And it seems that those who are admired most are those who have this uh, severe treatment of the body, as it were, this rigorous self-denial. And that's what asceticism does, really. It, it, It allows someone to appear spiritual because of the emphasis on Denial. On on anything fun. On denial of riches, denial of whatever. But in the end, it only it only actually builds that person up. Um. I, I've seen. Let me hit. Let me hit another one that I've seen with this because I was thinking again. Um, if you study church history, it's really interesting. Um, not long, I'd say probably two, probably 300 years after Jesus. Um, asceticism became quite a thing. Uh, if you study medieval, his church history became, you know, you think of monks. And, uh, Martin Luther, um, before he was converted, was an ascetic monk. Um, and, but why, you know, we don't, we don't actually, we don't see much of it today In fact, I was thinking, who was here when Dan was preaching a few weeks ago? Do you remember Dan showed the picture of the guy flagellating himself, right? And everyone kind of, oh, that's crazy. You know, that's, that's crazy. We don't, we don't, we don't, we don't see that much, do we, today? But what I think what we do see is, again, if Christ is the focus, we have to have Christ as the focus, we then shift that maybe even unconsciously to good things and then take those good things and put them in the center. For example, feeding the poor. That's great. That's commendable. That's not the great commission. Social justice is not the great commission. It's not. It's not part of loving your neighbor as yourself too. I'd love to. If you want to talk more about that, I'm happy to. I think a lot on these issues. But those are good things. But when we take the good thing and then we put it in the center, what have we done? Well, it's we have added extra deeds, have we not? We've actually taken something good, and that's fine. Look, if you want to give to Compassion International, I have, that's great. High five for that. But that's not the sub and substance of Christianity itself. In fact, I encourage you, to give of your time, to give of your money, and all of those things to the local church, to this church, and to other organizations out there. But that's not the gospel. And we can easily take those things and replace them. There are influential teachers out there who I don't, don't mishear me, I don't, I don't think they are social justice warriors, but they're, emphasis is so, so, so strong on the poor and feeding the poor that you begin to almost sort of go onto this whole trajectory of like Christianity, part and parcel of that is feeding the poor. I don't need to name them, but I could name them right now and everyone know exactly who I'm talking about. Very influential preachers. And these are Christian men. I'm not saying they're heretics, but, but the emphasis becomes so strong and good emphasis, by the way, very commendable, but we follow that so hard to the point where it just becomes a law to itself. And, and, it's, and it's ironic because in, in our in our self-denial, we've become self-inflated <laughs> actually. You know. I felt pressure this big time when I was, say, in my young 20s and a new Christian because I was influenced by a handful of guys I won't name, Christian guys. And I'm like, oh, man, I can't believe I'd have a nice coffee. You know, I'm never going to have a nice coffee again. All my money's going away, right? And, and I became so focused on that. Now, again, is it good to give money away? Yes. Should we do it as Christians? Yes. 100%. But when that takes, again, that from my, my life that was taking so much front and center uh, to be honest in hindsight as they say hindsight's 2020 i look back on that a lot of that was pride at the time it was you know hey i'm committed to serving jesus and and i was but but my my view of the gospel became so blended with my own ascetic lifestyle that it was it was off balance so I hope you don't misunderstand me. You can have convictions on these things, friends. That's great. And I hope you do, by the way. Um, maybe if you haven't had convictions on any of these things or wrestled with them, I'd, I'd be more concerned for you, to be honest. Because like, I, I, I'm always quite perplexed when people come to me and they go, oh, I haven't really stressed out with any of these things. Well, that's stressful to me. <laughs> Things. What are you thinking about? It's a whole other sermon for another day. But Paul's saying we have fullness in Christ. And that fullness gives us liberty from extra rules, from extra feeling like we need to have extra experiences and extra deeds. I pray the Lord helps us have a healthy balance of that as a church. I I pray that the front and center of this church is Jesus Christ and him crucified, and that it's the gospel. I I pray that we're not a church that's known for all of these other things, which are fine. Things we talked about are great i don't want that to mark us what do i want to mark us at the end of the day the gospel the good news jesus christ saving sinners and i pray that here as that message god help me as, as i'm here as, as for as long as i'm the pastor here that's going to be the message you're going to hear and you I, I want you to come to know christ to repent of your sins to turn to jesus for the hope of forgiveness and eternal life That is going to be the front and center message, the driving force of this church, as long as I'm here. Can't speak for the next bloke that comes after me. But as long as I'm here, that will be the message. That is what we're on about, the gospel. There's plenty of other churches. If you don't want that, there's plenty of other churches for you to choose on the coast that are on about all the peripheral things. I'd love had to have you here. And so would everybody else. There's a billion other churches here, there's not a billion churches on the coast, there's a billion other churches that are on about all these other things. We are going to be about Christ, the all-sufficient Savior. So if you are at the place where you're saying, yes, I cherish Christ, I know him, love him because he saved me, this, then praise God for that. And may that light you up, excite you, drive you. I want to tell other people about Jesus. We have that news, friends. We have the gospel. Amen? That's all we need. Um, I'm going to spend this time now going to the Lord in prayer. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, look, I really want you to be thinking about what, what is it that's Holding you back. What is it that? Uh, what is it that? Why haven't you crossed the line, so to speak? Is it? Do you have questions? You know, come, come talk to one of the elders. We'd love to talk to you about that. If um, if you're here and you're in Christ, let's let's just remember to continue to treasure Him and want to spread that. Look, I, I I want I want our people to to be. Excited about these things, so let's pray. Let's pray that God does that in our hearts. Gracious God, we thank you again for your Word. Help us not to make secondary things first, Lord. You've given us the Great Commission, and we want to be great. We want to be a Great Commission church. So, oh, Lord, we pray that you would excite us. Lord, we are our natural tendency is to is to be content with just things that are, are are kind of half committed, half excited. Our Christianity, Lord, for many of us only goes so far as this room. Lord, would you bring a true reformation, a true revival in this church, we ask. We pray these things in Jesus' name for your glory. Amen. We're gonna sing one last song. You're, they're gonna sing one last song. We're gonna reflect on, on the lyrics.
2: And sing once for all, once for all, our King has paid it all, all the glory to his name.
3: The king has paid. Pe-
2: now we live forever free because of Christ the offering can I encourage you to hold each other accountable and to to um, yeah chat about what we've heard this morning and like we say either you know unfortunately we can't do that here but you can catch up with someone afterwards either by inviting to your house or catching up somewhere or or giving them a call and really do encourage you to do that to leave promptly afterwards as you go i'm going to read from jude 12 to him who is able jude 24 sorry to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only god our savior be glory majesty power and authority through jesus christ our lord before all ages now and forevermore amen